0: Next, I would like to tell you about the Ganges Island Swami. I don't know what his name was, so that's all I've got to call him. And his Sandy Mansion. At the beginning of 1963, Sri Anandamaya Ma instructed me to find a kutir in either Hardwar or Rishikesh where I could do sadhana. Thanks to Brahmacharini Atmananda, who was known to many pilgrims as translator, counselor, friend, and smoother of the way, I was put in touch with an ideal devotee, Rai Bahadur Das, who was the chief director and patron of the Saptarishi Ashram, which I have already mentioned. The ashram was not a single large building, as is usual, but rather was a kind of small sadhu village, consisting of kutirs, that is, small little houses, in which single sadhus would remain for a while and do tapasya. I actually met one that had lived there for many years, including one sadhu who was 108 years old, whose name, believe it or not, was Om Shivaya. Anyhow, Saptarishi Ashram was a perfect place for meditation and study at first. But then pilgrim season began, when hundreds of thousands traversed the Himayas to visit the great pilgrimage centers of Gangotri and Babrinath. Then, all day long, people streamed into the ashram and knocked on the doors of all the kutirs in hope of meeting a Mahatma, a great soul. To compound the problem, the doctor who ran a free medical dispensary at the ashram, began bringing crowds of people to look at the American yogi, a rarity indeed. I had someone make me a sign in Hindi, asking that I not be disturbed, but that just meant that it was discussed for a while, and then the banging began on the door underneath the sign. All I want is darshan, in Hindi of course, was the common preamble for the racket. The only solution was a very unsatisfactory one of spending the whole day on an island in the Ganges where two or three sadhus were living and were being completely left alone at all times. Anyway, I went there every day and starved until it was safe to go back to my gutier and cook something, which was usually anandamai kachuri, a recipe for formulated by Anandamayi Ma for sadhus living under her supervision, and which had been taught to me by Atmanandaji. I should no doubt share the recipe with you sometime. Anyway, this exile to the Ganges island went on much too long, but it did have one good result. Each day when I was sneaking back to the ashram, I would meet two sadhus coming to the island for the night. Both were perfect examples of what I call first-class sadhus. They would pranam and smile but never speak. One day when I came over to the island, I saw one of the sadhus sitting on a tiny bit of sand, not even 10 feet long and 5 feet wide. The only thing there but the sadhu was a very big round rock. As I was passing by, the Sadu motioned for me to halt. Then he indicated to me that this was where he lived. First, he pushed the rock out away into the river and made the motions of washing his clothes on the rock. That was his laundry room. Then he pushed the rock back onto the sand over a bit and made the motions of making a fire underneath it. So that was his kitchen. Then he moved it to another spot and sat down on the rock in great dignity. That was his living room. Then he moved it to the far end, laid down, and put his head on it. That was his bedroom and his pillow. In this way, he showed me that he had a complete house right there and everything he needed. And throughout the entire pantomime, he was smiling and radiating the joy of freedom from possessions. He was living in the luxury India provided for him so easily. Then he made signs that I knew were his question. Did I understand? I did. And I never forgot the lesson. Next, I want to tell you about a sadhu that I just call in my own mind my brother in black because uh, I didn't ever find out his name either. It never even occurred to me to ask because... I was so overwhelmed by himself and what he was. Uh, More than one saint, actually, blessed my life in India with just a single appearance. And one of the most memorable sadhus I have met is this one, my brother in black. One tranquil morning, I was sitting with some friends by the Shiva temple just inside the gate of the old Anandamaya Ashram in Kankal. The new ashram is across the street. It was pilgrim season, and many pilgrims were crossing through the ashram property, either from the main road to reach the ancient, renowned Daksha Temple just across the way, or returning from the temple to reach the main road. To my surprise, a man with long hair and beard clothed all in black, and walking with a typical pilgrim staff entered from the side of the Daksha Temple. During my first visit to India, I had seen a sadhu dressed in black at a distance when I was leaving through the back gate of the Saptarishi Ashram. Later, I asked someone about it and was told that some Sikh and Muslim ascetics dressed in black, a color that is virtually never worn in India. The sadhu's clothes were a puzzle, but he himself was not, I assure you. Here was a real yogi. I immediately stood up and went toward him. He began smiling at me and speaking animatedly. When we met, we both hugged each other. What he felt, I don't know, but I felt like I was embracing a friend from a long past life. As we stood there, he spoke to me very earnestly, but I have no idea even what language he was speaking. Then he took me by the hand, and we found a place to sit and just be together in silence with God. After a while, he stood up and we went out into the road. There he pranam and went toward Harbar. That was all, but it was enough. Next, I'm really going to like telling you about the one I call the Swami who would not be a pet and his guru who laughed. This Swami did not live in the Himalayas, but out on the plains of India, south of Kanpur, in central India. I was attending a week-long series of discourses in Kanpur on the Srimad Bhagavatam by a very famous Swami, Swami Akandananda, whose Bhagavatam talks were very popular. <laughs> Everything was taking place in an immense pandal. That's a a, a tent, with a flat roof and separate vertical sides. At the front was a big platform on which the speaker was seated, along with a goodly number of sannyasis. But second only to the speaker in prominence was the extremely rich man who was sponsoring the whole thing. He was sitting in a special place facing the lecturer. Every day for hours, several hundred people were in attendance. While in Kanpur, I had been given a place to stay at what had once been the fabulous estate of an important English official of the British Raj. Not only was my room large, the bathroom was almost as big. I have to confide in you that I have never figured out this feature, which I found many times in India. Several members of the ashram, which was sponsoring the Bhagavad Sapta, in a kind of secondary sense, had rhapsodized to me about the tour the rich man had given them just before. He had bought the estate at the end of the Raj. Apparently, two of the main features of the property were a gigantic swimming pool that had a machine which created authentic ocean surf and was the only one of its kind outside Europe and then there was an artificial hill with an artificial stream running down it and through the estate. The staff at the estate itself were very good and devout Hindus, and they were very kind and attentive to me since I was a sannyasi. Indians are very protective of their saints and rarely introduce them to foreigners, but fortunately they did not consider me an outsider. So one day they took me to the servants' quarters and introduced me to a sadhu yogi who was staying there as a guest, not of the rich man, but of two brothers who worked there as servants. The swami spoke only Hindi, but a school teacher had come at the request of his host to translate for us. It was immediately evident that this sadhu was of the definite first class, extremely learned and intelligent. I suspected that he had not learned English as kind of a protest to English domination, though he seemed to be only in his early 30s. He explained to me that he had a very simple ashram in a remote part of the state, that is, of Uttar Pradesh, and urged me to come spend some time with him after the big do was done. Then he asked me what I thought of the whole thing, Unable to come up with a suitably diplomatic response, I said nothing. He nodded his head, smiled, and said, I see Swamiji has the same opinion that I have. I was invited some time back and came with the belief that I would hear real spiritual discourses by real spiritual teachers. But instead, I find that everyone on that platform, has been invited just to be exotic pets of the sponsor. So I have not gone back after the first session. I am no one's pet, least of all of a corrupt businessman who joined with the foreigners to maintain their enslavement of India. They made him rich and even gave him the title Sir to indicate he was really one of them. I am going back to my ashram and want you to come with me. I told him that after the function was over, I was scheduled to return to America. He asked, is it because Swamiji feels that my ashram is poor and the accommodations of food will also be poor? It took three tries before he understood that I really did have to leave. And I understood that he was used to the high and mighty disdaining him and his ashram. But I assured him I was not one of them. He laughed and told me that his friends had told him I was not, but still it had been a few days before he had agreed to see me. I hope I am not giving you the impression that he was a kind of snob. He was not at all, but he did value his integrity and would compromise it for no one or no thing. Then we got down to Sadhu Talk and had a wonderful time together. When it was over, we were family. So he invited me to meet his guru the next morning. And he told me, he told me not to come, that it would be useless and foolish, but I wanted to see for myself, and I knew he would be passing through Kanpur this evening. So early the next morning, one of the servants took me some distance on the property where there was the artificial hill I had heard about. It was impressive and looked like the real thing, even though it was not. However, the real thing was awaiting me at the hilltop. There I found my new Swami friend and his guru, a tremendously powerful old jungle sadhu, blind in one eye and dressed in next to rags. He was definitely not himself, one of those I have sometimes described to myself as first class, He was way beyond that. He was beyond any class. When I bring him to mind, I automatically think of the word Trigunatita found in the Gita, which means beyond the three gunas. And appropriately, he was very joyful, just sort of bubbling over with it, but in a very quiet and dignified way. At one point, someone went and turned on the fake stream. Right out of the hilltop, the water bubbled and went racing down the hill. And really, it did look absolutely real. If I had not seen it turned on, I would never have thought it anything other than an actual mountain stream. The old guru began laughing and gesturing with his hand on the whole property, said to me, Mayapuri, Mayapuri, which means the city of Maya. Shaking his head, he walked on down the hill, still laughing and we followed after. Then we went to the surf pool. It was filled with scummy water, the paint and plaster peeling off everywhere and thoroughly neglected, and this had impressed the Ashramites. (laughs) When asked if he would like to see the surf machine in action, the guru looked disgusted and told his disciple to end the silly waste of time. So we walked and talked a bit, though the servant was not the best of translators. At the gate to the property we bade farewell, the guru to escape the city, and the sadhu to return to his ashram. I went on to the big tent and the show going on there. Now, I had not been invited to sit on the platform, and it had never even occurred to me that I might be. But now I was glad of the non invitation I was no pet either.